Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and has feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and her of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine and have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. It, it, is that a tough word or what? That is brutal, isn't it? And serious? Wouldn't you say that's some of the most serious words to the church that Jesus could say? Those are serious, serious words. I'm going to start a PowerPoint. And just, um, just to know that there is uh, this Turkish... Now, Thyatira is where the Turkish city of... Uh, just use the whole screen, Thomas. Thyatira is... Uh, there, there's a modern city of Turkey, a uh, population of about 130,000. Akhisar uh, is this uh, city, is where Thyatira was... And the interesting thing, Thyatira had a population of about 25,000. And it was probably, uh, probably the least, uh, the, the, the smallest city of the seven. And so there it is in, in the north. It's, it's about uh, between 40 and 60. I think it's about 40 miles uh, from Pergamos. Now, the interesting thing about Thyatira, uh, go to the next slide. And... So there aren't very many ruins there, not many digs, because the new city is right on top of the old city, as often often happened in um, in, in former times. They didn't bother; they they just leveled everything and then built right on top. And then if they could use some of the stones and some of the stuff for their houses and buildings, then they would use that. And so. And, and so the old city, really, right on, right underneath the new city. But here are some. Next slide. Here are some of the ruins in Thyatira. Now of Thyatira. Now, again, it's probably the 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 least amount, um, or the the least of the cities. And the reason for that 
It, and the reason why it's important, and it is an important city, the reason it is important is because it was a military town. Now, you saw on the map where Pergamus was, and Pergamus was that city on a, on, kind of built on a mountain, right? It was a, like a fortress, and a lot of rich people lived there, and a lot of people had their treasures there. And what, what happened is that there were... Um, they had an enemy in the east that w would have loved to come and taken that city and looted it and, and got their treasures, right? And so they wanted a wall of defense. And so that's what Thyatira became. It became a wall of defense. It became a military town similar to what Wainwright is. Over us, it's a military town. And so the, the enemy was coming from the northeast that would be our wall of defense. Provost would be safe because we have an, a military camp over it. So that's a similar idea, is that Thyatira became... Uh, next slide. And so there, there were Roman soldiers. And they, there was a lot of Roman soldiers that were there. Uh, because um, and, and a lot of the money to pay for that came from Pergamus. Right? And so that is... they. That's, um, and so that's what made it important. That means that there would be a lot of industry there, to, uh, just similar to Wayne, right? You know, that, that a lot of businesses are there because they support the military, right? Now, that would be the same as Thyatira. It was a, it would, it was a town that would need to supply the military. And so they... They, and Thyatira, by the way, was well known for its trade unions or guilds. They had bakers' unions and potters' unions and, and workers in brass, tanners, leather cutters, workers in wool and flax, clothing manufacturers and dyers. The people that dyed the clothing different colors, right? Carpenters. Here, next slide. Here's a, that, that's a, a picture of, um, that, that's a carving uh, it, you can't see it really well, but it's a carving of a in a carpenter's shop, right? And um, it would have been about the time of um, Jesus, that that or the time that it would be. It, it was, it was in this period, right? And so it seems that Thyatira had such a good thing going with their guilds, with their with these unions, that. A couple of hundred years later, the emperor, Diocletian, he made these trade unions, um, he, he made them as mandatory throughout the empire. And so you, if you wanted to work, you had to belong to a union. Where did you hear that before? So that meant that with these unions, these guilds, um, they had, they would have, um, the Christians would really have problems. And I'll tell you why. Now, the word guild is of uncertain origin, but probably comes from Anglo Saxon gilata, which means sacrifice. Each guild or trade union had its own patron god, and it was required that you would attend their sacrifices and their parties and their celebrations. If you wanted to be part of the trade union, if you wanted to be part of that union, you had to be there or else you were out of work. 
And that was a problem for the Christians because the Christians would not participate in that. They should not and could not, right? And so to refuse would result in being expelled from the guild, and that would mean that economically they would have a hard time. You have maybe uh, heard of the first European convert recorded in Scripture. Next slide. It was Lydia in Philippi. Where was she from? She was from Thyatira, and she was a, um, a seller of purple. And so she, um, she came from that city. Uh, Paul and Silas met her in Philippi. And, and so this is the longest letter, smallest church, but longest letter. And a good part of the letter has to do with the problem in the church. There were some good things. Next slide. But here's the problem. Well, we don't know what she looked like, but that's Jezebel. And so let's get into that. You can shut the slides down for now. Um, my outline is as following. the greeting, the commendation, the condemnation, the remnant, and the reward. And so first of all, the greeting. Again, the greeting is to the angel of the church. Now remember the word angel, angelos in Greek means messenger. And this isn't some sort of guardian angel over a specific church, but Jesus is giving his word to the pastor of the church whose responsibility it is to receive the message from the Lord and then repeat that message to, his, to, to the members of that church, the, the members of the church that God has given him charge over. Angels have never been responsible to preach God's word. They've always had a message to deliver, like to Mary or to Daniel. It was, an, it was a messenger from God with a specific message. Now, they, they're not responsible to preach the gospel. We are. God gave that responsibility to us. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't give that uh, message to angels. He gave that message to you and I. And so... The, this is the pastor that he's speaking to that was responsible to give it to the rest of the church. So be prepared. This is what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. 2 Timothy 4.2 And so pray for your angel. My last name happens to be Engel, which is kind of like angel. So, so pray for your Engel. <laughs> there you go. Pastors need your prayer for sure. It's a great responsibility to take God's word and share that with God's people. And so Jesus identifies himself here as the Son of God. Now this reminder to the church here is again very connected to the city of Thyatira. This is very interesting. Remember that Pergamos and, and Thyatira were connected in, in, in the idea that a lot of investment dollars came from the wealthy in Pergamos, the major city in Asia, by the way, the capital city, the seat of the government there, and, and where the altar of Zeus was. Now who was Zeus? Zeus was the, 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 the big guy. He was the big god. The, you know, not, not a capital G, but he was the, the big god they represent. Now Zeus had children. 
Um, and one of, those, one of those children, one of those kids, he, actually there was a set of twins. Um, uh, uh, is it Artemis? And Apollo, I think, were uh, twins, uh, male and female. And they had, a, in, in Pergamos, they had a, another temple to, to uh, Zeus's daughter. But in Thyatira, they worshipped Apollo. And they had a big temple to Apollo, the son of the god Zeus. And so they were worshipping the son of God, so to speak, right? And so Jesus said, make sure you're worshipping the right son. I am the son of God, big G God. I'm not the son of this, this Zeus dude there that has an altar in Pergamos. I'm not his, like, worship the right son. And so Jesus identifies himself as the son of God. Jesus, the son. Now, his eyes like a flame of fire. This is in reference to his omniscience. That means, I mean, he sees everything. He knows everything, right? And that's a reference to that. Nothing is hidden from him. Jesus knows. Do you know what the amazing thing is about that? That statement, Jesus knows. He knows your every thought. He knows your every struggle. And you know what's amazing about that? He loves you anyway. That's amazing. Because my thoughts aren't always pure. And my actions aren't always good. And my, the things I do aren't always noble. And Jesus loves me anyway, even though he knows me inside out. Jesus, the Son, has feet like fine brass. Now, feet of brass is a reference to judgment. And why would Jesus introduce himself in this way? Well, apostasy brings judgment. If we go on sinning deliberately... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's from Hebrews chapter 10. Well, let's look at the commendation. They did some things that were right. Jesus does commend them. It's only one verse compared to a bunch of verses for the condemnation, but let's look at the one verse of commendation. And still, you know, it's a positive thing, right? To build on. You want to build on something positive. And so the contemporary English version reads, I know everything about you, including your love, your faith, your service, and how you have endured. I know you are uh, doing more now than you have ever done before. I like that. I like that translation. So two things I see from this one verse. First of all, as they were serving the Lord, uh, doing uh, good deeds, as some translations put it, perhaps they were feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, caring for the sick. As they were serving the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit was evident in their lives and in their actions. Jesus saw this. Faith, love, and patience are produced by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit as he's active in your life. These things are produced. And these are some of the things that they are being commended for. That, that they were allowing the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in their life. And that's a good thing, right? The second thing I see here is he says about their Christian service, that they were growing in that area. That 
that they were better at it now and doing more now than they were before. This is commendable. And it's interesting to me as I look back on my preaching, I look back at, I, I look back at some of my sermons a while ago, like 22 years ago, some of my messages back then I'm reading, and, and it's not typed out. They're all written out, and they're stapled together, and it's like, wow, <laughs> I've come a long way. And, and I'm reading some of the content. It's just, not, it's just not the way I'd put it together. I just read some of the content, and I'm going, what was I thinking? <laughs> I mean, it's just, how, how did, like, I, I hope, that, uh, man, those people were patient with me. That's what I was thinking. I've, so I, I think after 25, even five years ago, I've looked at some of my mes- messages from five, six years ago, and I'm thinking, wow, God is maturing me. I've grown. And you know what? The question we need to ask ourselves is, have I grown? If I look back 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 years ago, have I grown in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I pray more? Do I desire to meet with Him more? Do I love Him more? Do I love Jesus more? Am I more generous? Do I understand God's Word more? Am I, do I desire God's Word in my life more? You have to ask yourself those questions. And if the answer is, well, I don't know, then the answer is probably no. And, then, and, and so it, it's important to grow. If you don't grow, it's like water sitting. The, you know the water that sit. We have water in pools all over the place. They're called sloughs. They're all over the place here in Alberta and Saskatchewan, everywhere. They, they don't go anywhere. And what happens in the summer as the sun shines, they begin to get green and gooey and stink. Stagnant water. Salamanders and frogs come out of there, so that's cool. But I mean, but the water in a river, it keeps on being replenished and moving, and that's what we need we need to grow. We can't stay the same. We need to grow. And they were commended for that. But unfortunately, that's all. And then we come, we, we come to the condemnation. Now, it's this one name. Now, I don't believe that her name was Jezebel in Thyatira. I think Jezebel is, is her, her character, her characteristic, Right? Because Jezebel um, it explains why Jesus has an issue with this church if he just uses the word Jezebel. You have a Jezebel in your church. That's kind of what he's saying, right? Now, Jezebel isn't a popular name for parents these days. And as a matter of fact, I, I looked it up because I was really interested in how popular the name Jezebel was for new baby girls. Right? Are you interested? Do you, where do you think Jezebel fit? Is it in the top ten? No, well, here's here are the here are the top five. Okay, any guesses for the first one? <laughs> Sylvia, I didn't look Sylvia. But that might be in the top one hundred. Who knows? Yeah, you doubt it. Yeah. So Olivia, Olivia is the number one. Emma is number two. Don't tell Emma. She'd get a big head or something, right? Um, Charlotte is number three. 
Amelia is number four, and Ava, number five. Isn't that interesting, right? So where does Jezebel fit into this list? <laughs> well, in this, this, now, this is so interesting. Let me, let me explain this. Um, she didn't make the top 1,000. No, there's a reason for that. It might interest you to know, however, that there is a generation growing up a generation growing up that doesn't know who Jezebel is. They don't know about the name Jezebel and what it, what it means and her characteristic from the Old Testament. They don't know the Bible. They don't know what happened in Second Kings. They don't know. And so here's what interests me. In 19, I mean in 2021, the name Jezebel was listed as as far as popularity on the list, no, not the top 10, number 16,522. <laughs> it is like, nobody wants to name their kid Jezebel, right? And there's a good reason for that. But what really interested me was that in, in 2022, the popularity of the name Jezebel has gone up by 6,000. So it's now almost 6,000. It's now, num uh, well, 6,500, actually. It's uh, number 10,012 in popularity. And so if that trend continues, Jezebel will be a popular name for baby girls in the near future. Why? Because young people aren't opening their Bibles and they don't, they, they're biblically illiterate and they don't know what the name Jezebel really means and what the connotations are. That's a scary thought. So to understand why Jesus has used the name Jezebel as a condemnation, we need to look at a bit of history. Certain, uh, Similar to looking at history, the history in Pergamos when Balaam... Uh, when Balaam was talked about, the doctrine of Balaam. Now, Ahab's father was Omri. Now, just a few years before Omri, um, he was king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, he bought a piece of land. He bought a hill. Okay, and then he built Samaria on it when became the capital of, northern, of the northern tribes of Israel, right? And so that was, that was Ahab's dad had done that. Now, so the name of the city, of course, is Samaria. Now, when Ahab began to reign after his father's death, it said that he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It said that about his dad when he became king as well. Now, and so the kings were getting progressively worse, right? They weren't listening to the Lord. Now, one of the evils that Ahab did was to marry Jezebel. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 16, 31 to 33. It wasn't enough that he committed the same sins as Jeroboam, that's Nabat's son. He also married Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbaal of Sidon. Ahab then served and worshipped Baal. He built the temple of Baal in Samaria and set up an altar there. Ahab made poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. He did more to make the Lord 
God of Israel furious than all the kings of Israel who came before him. So all of the kings that came before him put together, Ahab angered the Lord. Now what does the Bible say? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteous and wicked, what righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 Now, that's talking about business. That's talking about working. I mean, that's talking about everything, but it certainly includes marriage. And so Ahab married a Phoenician woman who was wicked, and, and, and he, she didn't become saved. He became distracted and taken away. Right? Now, the reason for this command is because, and the Bible makes it clear that the children of Israel, all through the Bible, they were to be separate and come out from among them, right? And that means in, in, in society, it doesn't mean that you come out and stay separate, but, and Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17 that we would be in the world but not of the world, right? But it means to come out as far as the, the way we do culture, the way we do things, the way we think about things, the way the, uh, our priorities, that our pride as believers, we are different. And so we can't be the same as the world. It doesn't work that way. The ungodly will always corrupt the godly. It will always happen that way. There will always be compromise. And so that's why, and, and it's why God told the children of Israel, and Ahab knew this, but he ignored that command. And now the effect that she had on Ahab, it can't be understated. She was wicked. Here's a taste of Jezebel's influence. Jezebel massacred the prophets of God, 1 Kings 18.4, but one of Ahab's servants by the name of Obadiah feared the Lord and hid a hundred of God's prophets in two caves, and he fed them, and he kept them safe from Jezebel. He was actually working. He was one of the servants of Ahab, but he feared the Lord, and that's what he did because Jezebel was killing God's prophets. Elijah heard about it and called for a meeting with Ahab. It, it's, actually, read this story for yourself. It's really funny because Obadiah said, no, you're going to send me to my death if I have to go tell Ahab that you want to meet with him. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me dead. I don't want to go. But you know, he, he wasn't killed and he was obedient to the prophet and to what God had asked him to do. He said, haven't I done enough? I hit all these guys, <laughs> right? It's funny. Then Elijah challenged him to a public contest. You remember this on Mount Carmel. He said, you bring 450 of your prophets of Baal, your priests, you bring those guys, and we're going to have a little contest. Oh, he also um, wanted the 400 prophets of Asherah um, that ate at Jezebel's table. That's what the Bible says. And, and so it would have been like 950 prophets against one prophet and the Lord. And they were going to have a contest, right? And this was on Mount Carmel. And it doesn't mention the 400 were at the mountain. I think they stayed home. I think they knew what was coming and they were afraid. And so they, I, maybe they stayed home and they didn't show up. No, I'm not going there. That's God's prophet. 
And he knows what he's doing. Anyway, um, Jezebel then, because, be, because fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar that, that, um, that Elijah had built, and all of those prophets were killed. The 450 prophets of Baal, they were, they were executed. And so Jezebel put a price on Elijah's head for that. And he ran. He was afraid. Another instance, Ahab had, he was depressed. And his neighbor Naboth had a nicer vineyard than him. And so Jezebel told him, come on, quit being such a baby. Man up, I'll get you the vineyard. <laughs> quit being such a baby. And so she had him falsely accused and killed so that King Ahab could have the vineyard. Terrible. Jezebel is probably the most wicked woman in all of Scripture. And she died a horrible death, um, eaten by dogs, a judgment from the Lord. In 1 Kings 21-25, it is it's said of Ahab, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do the wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. And the church in Thyatira. I'm going to read verse 20 in another translation. This is the Aramaic Bible in plain English, which is uh, translated from earlier manuscripts um, than, uh, than my new King James. And it is reliable, yes. This is what it says in chapter 2, verse 20. I have much against you because you are tolerating your wife Jezebel who says about herself that she is a prophetess and teaches and seduces many servants to commit fornication and to eat the sacrifices of idols. Okay, here's the problem. Now, many, trans, many commentators um, believe that this could quite possibly be the pastor's wife. Um, that she's unsaved, and she's calling herself a prophet. And she's got way too much influence in the church. It's her desire to bring others down to her level. Now, I'm not saying pastor's wives are bad. <laughs> and or don't have any influence or shouldn't have any influence. Actually, I would recommend as you pray for your pastor, pray also for your pastor's wife. Right? Because um, as she carries more of a burden than you realize... But in Thyatira, it was different. If, if it indeed was the pastor's wife, if it wasn't the pastor's wife, then it was somebody, with, uh, a woman in the church that maybe had money and influence. And it was bad news. In Acts chapter 15, we have a record of the Jerusalem Council. Now, this happened about 40 years, 45 years before Jesus wrote to the church in Thyatira. So there's no excuse. For 45 years, they've known this. 45 years at the, ago in the Council of Jerusalem, this is what they said. Um, what was happening is that there were, uh, the, some were saying that the Gentile believers needed to become Jewish first in order to be really saved. Really? You have to become a Jew first be, before you can be really saved? Come on, that's, 
And, and so they had this meeting, right? And this is what came out of the meeting. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from the things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And what's the false teaching of Jezebel? It's okay to eat things sacrificed to idols, and sexual immorality is cool. 45 years ago, they said this is the only thing you need to pay attention to, and it's what Satan used to try to bring down this church. But the problem was much deeper than the fact that this was happening in the church. It can be summed up in one word, tolerate. Those that were in leadership were tolerating it. They didn't deal with it. They, they left her alone. They let her do her evil work without confronting her. And what is it? That's just like saying, well, you know, we, we don't want to judge. You know, what does God's word say? Right? Those who were mature in the faith were letting it happen. Sin was allowed to remain in the church unchallenged. In all of this, Jesus said that he had given her time to repent. Isn't it true that the grace of God is often turned against him? Someone has written, those who complain that a a perfect and loving God would not allow such evil in the world need to stop and consider that if he were to step into history at the very next instant to remove all evil, that they themselves would be guaranteed in a, uh, a place in the lake of fire. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's 2 Peter 3.9. In the end, this perverse and influential person would be judged. The irony is that the sexual immorality that was happening on a bed would become her sick bed of suffering. Now let me um, give you a little um, um, insight because each of these churches, remember each of these churches also represent um, a church age. Okay, now um, in... I think it was 600, no, or was it 500? Just a minute. I have a date here written down. 538. In 538 AD, the emperor, the current Roman emperor, said, I'm no longer a soldier. I'm a theologian. Okay? I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, and he became very interested, and he started writing, and he started studying. And, but at the same time, he transferred... All, uh, he transferred all of the, the authority, uh, much of the authority of the Roman government to the church. And the church became, um, and, and that's what, and this is interesting because for over a thousand years, this is what was going on until the Reformation, the church was so corrupt because there was, there, there were, there were these things happening, the, the, the transfer of power from the government to the church and the church became the government and the church 
they, they, they started persecuting anybody that didn't agree or, or didn't believe exactly the same way they did. They killed more people in the name of Jesus than, than, than we will ever know. It was, it was an awful time. And there, was, and there was sexual immorality going on, and they were eating, and, and, and they were, it, it, was, it was awful. Now, ironically, during that time, this is the dark ages, during that time, much of what was called the church, were, people were getting sick of the Black Plague, etc., etc., thousands and thousands and thousands of people died and got sick and so it's like this was actually uh, this prediction or this prophecy was actually fulfilled that they that a lot of time was given to Jezebel to repent but she never did and and so the, the people were dying of sickness and it's like it came exactly the way the Lord said it would. The Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible commentary suggests that those who commit adultery with her refers to those who knew the sin was going on in their faith community but didn't do anything about it, turning a blind eye. They were letting her alone and so encouraging her to continue in her sin. It has been said that for evil men or evil Jezebel to, to accomplish their purpose, it is only necessary that good men should do nothing. By saying nothing, God is judging them as if they are participating in that grievous sin. If they're not willing to confront it, then they are just as guilty as those that are doing it. In verse 23, her children are those who adhere to her, corrupt, uh, her corrupt doctrine. Their end will be death and or spiritual and eternal death publicly on display this would absolutely be a warning to the other churches that don't go there. Well, what about the remnant? And this is encouraging, right? This is encouraging for all of us. Because now to you I say, to the rest in Thyatira, the older texts omit the word and, right? And so my New King James says this, now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira. If you put an and in there, that means it could be two different, two different parties. But I think it's one and the same party. I think it's, it's the remnant. He's talking about to you, and then the rest is a clarification. To you is actually plural in Greek. And so that would mean... Um, to the rest in Thyatira is a repeating of the word you. So you guys, the rest of you in Thyatira, okay, it's the same people. And he's talking about a remnant. And, and, and then he narrows it down. And for more clarification, he says, um, just in case you don't understand, it's you that, that have not known the depths of Satan, okay, who haven't participated in this sin. Right? And then if you still don't get it, um, then, then it's you haven't, you know, he's, it's, uh, yeah, the depths of Satan. And before that, it was that haven't participated in this doctrine. And so it's really talking about a small remnant. Let me be clear. Eating meat sacrificed to idols just isn't eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. 
That's not, the, the rituals and festivities included all kinds of sexual immorality and sexual perversion. Read Romans chapter 1 and you'll get an idea of what was going on there. One of the most sobering and sad statements in the Bible is repeated three times in Romans chapter 1. It's because they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. God gave them up. Those are terrible words. Those are horrible words. And, and, and that's repeated three times in Romans chapter 1. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. Why is there gender confusion in our culture today? Why is the sin that plagued Sodom and Gomorrah celebrated and promoted at every turn? If they're admitting in Hollywood that they're actually promoting same-sex stuff. They're putting it in there on purpose. They're promoting and they're pushing it. Why? Because they want to change our culture. This is the depths of Satan. This is what was happening in Thyatira, and this is what is happening in our culture, and we can't have any part of it. We have, and, and we can't stand up and say, no, I, you know, that's you guys, that's okay for you. We can't. It's not okay. God says it's not okay. That's the depths of Satan. And if, our, and if our society really wants to go there, then what's, what's going on? God gave them up. God will let them go. And they're going to go with it. And it's going to be so corrupt as in the days of Noah. It's coming. And you know, when Elijah was running from Jezebel, you remember that. He had just won a great victory. God showed up in power on Mount Carmel. Why was he afraid of the wicked Jezebel? Jezebel had put a price on his head, and he momentarily took his eyes off of the Lord. The same God that threw fire down from heaven and consumed the offering, licked up all the water and everything, the same God could protect him, but he, he was tired. And he took his eyes off the Lord for a moment. Where did he run? He ran to Mount Horeb. You know where that is? That's God's mountain. That's Mount Sinai. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. He, he, ran, he ran. That was a long way. That's, that's way on the other side of the country. That's way south of the country. I mean, he ran for... That, that, that was clear across Israel down into the, into the boonies. He was getting away. He, he, was, he was scared. Finally, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? When he got there, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, but the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I am the only one left, and they're seeking my life as well. That's what he said. Elijah thought he was alone, but he wasn't. God gave him his final task and informed him. His final task was to, it was to, um, to, to anoint a new prophet. That was Elisha and, and also a king. But he said, this is what God told him, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And so God said, there are 7,000 that are, that are faithful. That's a remnant. 
I want you to know that you don't have to go along with society's sins. Nor should you. The only burden Jesus put on the faithful was to hang in there. Hold on. Don't give up any ground. It's difficult to stand alone. And so find others that will stand with you. Find others. Pray together. Stand together. Hold each other accountable. Hold on together. And then the reward is promised. There are two things that are promised to those that overcome. Those who are faithful to the end. First of all, they will reign with Christ in the millennium. You will reign with me, Jesus says, if you are faithful. And then he says that they will be given the morning star. What's the morning star? Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus identifies himself as the bright and morning star. And so Jesus promises that he will be theirs. I will be there for you. Isn't that beautiful? For those that overcome. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. And uh, we live in this generation that, well, it's evil. There's a lot of Jezebels around. And they are promoting a lot of things that don't agree with you. As, as much as you hated the things that were going on in Thyatira, boy, you hate the things that are going around in our culture. And so, Father, help us to um, stand together and stand with you, to stand on your word, to know your word, to seek you first, and help us to hold on. And thank you for the promise of your reward. In Jesus' name. Amen.